Good morning, Evergreen. Uh, just so grateful for the opportunity to preach again. So thank you for the opportunity. But uh, children, uh, can ever have your attention? Today's children's message is part of the sermon. And uh, so as you know, Pastor Corey sent me to Israel about a month ago. And one of the sites that we got to see, be part of an experience, was a place called the Dead Sea. So we, here's a couple of pictures of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is actually a beautiful area. Desert, it's hot, it's dry. And in the next picture, you see this guy floating in the water. Okay, this is a, this is, the sea is absolutely dead in, in essence. No fish are living in there. There's a bunch of salt. That's why this man could float up in the water more than he normally could in a, any other body of water. So this is a very interesting place. Nothing lives in this sea, children. So I have a question for you. And it's going to be answered throughout the sermon. Perhaps maybe your parents could help you out. And uh, why is the Dead Sea dead? All right, ask yourselves that. Why is the Dead Sea dead? I'll give you a little heads up when the answer comes up, but it's going to be part of the sermon, okay? So um, now as we get into the message here, we're going to be out of John chapter 7, 19 to 39. But let me just pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is good. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, that we would know your son Jesus more and that we will love him more and we will become more like him. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we, you allow me to preach your word with power and conviction. Thank you for this great privilege of being able to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's rise. We're going to be out of John 7, 19 through 39. And just a little bit of review as you rise and find your places out of John 7, 19. Last time we were in John, we talked about how Jesus taught on the good teacher and we taught about the bad teacher. And so this is what pastor elders do. We, we are called to warn the sheep from, from wolves, from error. And this is what our good Lord had taught us in, at the last part of John. So we pick up where Jesus left off. We're in the temple in Jerusalem. This is the Feast of Booths going on, the Feast of Tabernacle, which commemorates the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And there's going to be a lot of water in this sermon here, okay? It's going to be a wet sermon. Uh, you're going to see what I'm talking about. But Jesus, in essence, in the end, invites the people to come and drink from him. So this is God's word, John 7, 19 through 39. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? He's speaking to the religious rulers. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered him, I did one deed, and you all marvel." For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. Talking about Abraham. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath, a crippled man? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from, but when, where, whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself. But he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Speaking about the Father. So they were seeking to seize him, 
No one laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than the, the, those which this man has, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, for a little while longer I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. I'm going back to heaven. You will seek me and you will not find me. And where I am you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Is he, is he not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Is he? What is the statement that he said, You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am you cannot come. Verse 37, 38, 39. This is where we're going to drill down deeper today. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow, will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Father, we thank you for your word. We love you. Help us to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. So today, verse 19 to 36 is going to provide great context for 37 to 39. And in essence, from 19 to 24, Jesus confronts their, uh, the Pharisees, the religious rulers, idol. Basically, he said, you are trusting in the law. And not trusting in God. You think by keeping the law, you're going to have life. You miss an entire point. Jesus is confronting them on their home turf at the temple. And he's showing the hypocrisy of the religious rulers. He's, he's basically saying, you are mad at me. You want to kill me because I healed a crippled man on the Sabbath. Yet you guys think it's okay to circumcise, to mutilate somebody. I make somebody whole and you get mad. And it's interesting, on my trip to Israel, um, the, the Orthodox Jews, they still practice Sabbath, and they call it the Shabbat. Shabbat is, is the Sabbath day to, uh, to, uh, to keep from doing works. I mean, they're, they're so serious about this. There are things called the Shabbat elevator. In essence, at the hotel, you know, pushing the up button or the down button or what floor you want to go to is considered work. So this elevator opens up on its own and stops at every single floor so you don't have to do any work. All you got to do is get in and get out. Okay, see the intensity of that? It's still alive today. But there's an interesting thing. Uh, the, the, they make one, uh, one little clause that allows people to work on the sa on Sabbath which is if you're involved in saving a life. So if you're a doctor or a nurse working at a hospital, that's okay. Interesting, huh? Jesus seemed to understand this. The people didn't understand it at the time. Jesus healed a crippled man, made him whole, and they were attacking him. And in verse, from verse 25 to 32, people were questioning, starting to wonder, is this the Christ? Why are the religious rulers letting him teach from, at the temple? They're thinking, is this, could this be the Christ, the Messiah? Why aren't they stopping him? And they go, nah, we know where he's from. He's from Nazareth. There's no way this is the Messiah. There's no way this is the Messiah. And then Jesus screams out, I am he. I am from the Father. I know the Father. And then because of that, some people are starting to believe. But the reason why they're believing is because they notice the signs. 
as we know, just noticing the signs is not always a validation of true belief. So perhaps some were believers, perhaps weren't, some weren't. But this threatened the religious rulers, so they were saying, seize him. They wanted to get him. Jesus was threatening their power, their control, and they were, he, he was their enemy. In verse 33 to 36, Jesus says, I'm going away. Basically saying, I'm going to heaven. And the Jews don't quite get it. They're thinking, what do you mean? Like, are you going to go to the dispersion, meaning the Greeks that were, um, the Jews that were spread abroad during the exile? Or is he going to go speak to the Greeks, the Gentiles? And interesting right here, I just want to, they kind of speak prophetically without even understanding it. Right here in um, verse 35, it says, the, the, the Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? They're thinking in the physical sense, not heaven. He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? Well, we know that this is what Paul does and spreads the gospel to the Gentiles. They're prophetically speaking what was going to happen without even them understanding it. But Jesus says, you're not able to come to where I go because you reject me. You are excluded from the kingdom of heaven, he's telling them. And in verse 37, here we go. The stage is set for, uh, for Jesus to give his passionate sermon here. This is it. Jesus was a preacher. Here it is here. Verse 37, this was, it says this. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, the feast of booths, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. This day was a special day. This, the, day of, uh, the final day, the great day of the feast, was the climax of this whole week-long festival. Throughout the week, the, the priests would gather, a, get a gold uh, bucket or pitcher and go to the Pool of Siloam, which is still there today. And there's a picture of it. They'll gather water and they'll go to the altar at the temple and pour water out. And on the last day... This was just, just Jesus' perfect time. He knows what's going on. Okay, he knows exactly what's going on. The seventh day, the last day, they will, the, the priest will get the golden pitcher filled with water and they'll walk around seven times around the altar and then pour out the water. As they're, as they're walking around, the choir will sing the halal, which is Psalm 113 to 118. And they say, save now. God, save us now. And then they'll pour out this water. This was a very significant thing as this water ceremony was very emblematic of how God took care of the people of Israel in 40 years in the desert, desert by providing water, water out of, of, of a spiritual rock. Now, right here, I just want to kind of drill into, just give us, put us into the mind of what it was like here. Verse 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, this climactic day of this great festival that the Jews celebrated, it says, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, this is significant. In the original language, this has the idea of screaming, a vehement cry, there was urgency to Jesus. And a lot of times, as we talked about before, Teachers or rabbis will sit at the seat of Moses as they taught. They would be sitting down. But right here, the Bible says he stood up and started screaming. And this, there is a difference. There is a difference between teaching and preaching. Teaching is you, you teach something good and something constructive, something edifying. But perhaps, hey, let's get to it next week or maybe next month or maybe next year we'll plan this teaching thing. You know, it's a good thing, but it could wait. But right here, this is preaching. There's an exhortative element to it. There's a call to action by Jesus. 
He's screaming, crying out. If you're thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is preaching. He says, you got to hear this now. While all this is going on with the water, perhaps Jesus is preaching this sermon as this water ceremony is going on or as this water ceremony is just concluded, perhaps. He goes, it's a matter of life and death. You have to understand what I'm talking about. Jesus is saying, I am the fulfillment of this ceremony. Now, right here in verse 37, it says, if anyone is thirsty... This is unqualified, open invitation. Jews, Gentiles, rich or poor, religious ruler, or just a common person. Unqualified, anyone who's thirsty. And Jesus ties in Moses in the law at verse 19. He knew what the, the religious rulers are trusting in. They trusted in the law to save them. They, they were trusted in by the fact that if I keep the law, I will be at peace with God. I will please God, therefore he will accept me. Well, the Jews, we know that the Jews relied on this, but Jesus also says and understood this doesn't satisfy. This does not satisfy. Keeping a law makes you even more thirsty. Trying to live up to the law makes you even thirstier for God. Romans 3.20, don't hint to turn to it, but the Bible describes the law as it, it gives you the knowledge of sin. It tells you God's standard of how we don't fit up to it, that we are sinners. Galatians 3.24 calls the law a tutor, a tutor that directs us to our need for Christ. Well, the law is meant to make one more thirsty for Christ. You know, in, in other words, you know, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Jesus explains what the law, how stringent the law is. You know, as we know, part of the Ten Commandments is you shall not murder. Jesus says in Matthew 5, if you've been angry with another brother, you are guilty of murder. All right, we also know the law also says you shall not commit adultery. Jesus in Matthew 5 says if you don't have lust for another person, you are guilty of adultery. So Jesus takes this from the letter of the law, just the physical act of taking it to the heart, to the impossible level. Okay, we all understand this. So when we understand the law more, we all, including myself, realize, man, I don't measure up to God's standard. I need Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying. The law is meant to make you more thirsty for me. And he, Jesus is also saying, I satisfy your thirst. I provide the living common drink. So he's screaming this. This is an intense sermon. Verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will river, flow rivers of living water. Okay, water is a very, very precious commodity, in particular in the Middle East. Southern California, we understand this. I mean, the reason why Southern California has some green is that we pump in water from other places. This is how it works. Without water, it's dry. It's brown. And in the Middle East, they had different ways and different types of water. There's cistern water. So here's a picture of a cistern. Cistern was a big container, basically. Okay, a big hole in the ground. When rain would come or, or they were able to collect water, they'd gather water in there. Matter of fact, the, day, the first day that we were there, it rained. I'm like, wow, it rained. And there was this, uh, this hole in the ground that collected water. And this next picture shows you the type of water that's in there. If you could see it closer, I mean, I don't think any of us would want to drink any of that water, okay? That's cistern water. And the, but the better water is flowing rivers, flowing water, spring water, living water. And so we went up to northern Israel, and we, we saw Mount Hermon, 
not the one in Northern California, but Mount Hermon in Israel. And we saw the springs of Mount Hermon coming down. And this Mount Hermon is, a, is a, at times a snow-capped mountain. When the snow melts, it becomes stream water and it flows down into Israel. This is, Mount Hermon is a source of life. It feeds the Jordan River and the Jordan River goes on down north to south into Israel. So this is the type of water that Jesus talks, a flow of rivers of living waters within us if we believe in him. Simply believe, the Bible says, Jesus says, he who believes in me as the scriptures has said. Now there's, Jesus doesn't point to any one specific prophecy, but there's prophecy of living water in man and through Proverbs, Ezekiel, Zechariah. He's taking the Old Testament as a whole. Okay? In verse 39 as we dig into the text here, but this he spoke of the Spirit. So when, I, when we think about water, living water, I think about the woman at the well. I go back to early part of John, the woman at the well. Jesus said, hey, I give you living water. He didn't make it clear what this living water is. In, in verse 39, he makes it explicitly clear. It's about the Holy Spirit. Living water is the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back. Let's journey back in time here. Okay, let's journey back in time with the Israelites in the wilderness. Okay, this is, they were out, they just, God delivered them out of the house of slavery, out of Egypt. And this is about 1500 B.C. So 1500 years before Jesus is speaking, we're going way back here. Okay, let's go back. And it goes to Exodus 17.6. I'll read this for you. And this is, Behold, God is talking to Moses, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So this is the scene here. Families are dying and, and are, are thirsty. Children are miserable. Wives are struggling. Older people are struggling through the desert here. There's no water. And they cry out to God. God graciously provides miraculous water to come out of, out of a rock. And it's able to give them life. Now, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about water here. Jesus, there's this whole ceremony going on behind Jesus, or maybe it just got concluded. There's this whole scene here. This is the atmosphere. People, undoubtedly, the Jews remember this incident in the wilderness where God provided life through living water, sustained their physical life out of, out of a rock, miraculously. How does this happen? Now, what came to mind is what Paul wrote about in my mind. 1 Corinthians 10, 4, Paul writes and explains this spiritual rock. And all who drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. He's talking about the, the Israelites in the wilderness. And the rock was Christ. Paul saying that Christ, Jesus, pre-incarnate, was with the people in the wilderness, taking care of them. 1500 BC, 1500 years before Christ walked the earth. Now, in verse 39, it says this at the end. For the Spirit was not yet given. Talking about the Holy Spirit wasn't given to the people yet. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. What does that mean? Jesus was not killed on the cross yet. Jesus wasn't resurrected from the grave yet. And Jesus hasn't ascended back to heaven yet. Jesus wasn't glorified yet. 
And when upon Jesus' glorification, we know what happened at Pentecost. Jesus sends the helper, the Holy Spirit, to the believers. Okay, and, but I, I see a picture here in Moses, uh, with Moses and the rock. Exodus 17, 6. Moses struck the rock and water gushed out. This word strike in the original Hebrew talks about striking to kill. Smote the rock. This is, a, this is not he just tapping the rock with his staff. He is whacking that rock as if to do some damage. Okay, and after that, water gushed out. Water from the, uh, from the rock gushed out and it sustained their life. It gave them life. I can't help but think now, when I think of this account, how this is a picture of what eventually would happen. Moses, who's Moses? Moses is the lawgiver. Moses is synonymous with the law. Okay, the, 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 uh, the religious rulers worshipped Moses. Moses was their guy. The law required that Christ go to the cross and he will be stricken dead. Christ is a source of living water. So this is a picture. Moses, the lawgiver, strikes the rock. Paul identifies the rock as Christ. Living water comes out. The law required that Jesus would go to the cross. Jesus is killed on the cross. And because of it, after his death and resurrection, ascension, he sends us the Holy Spirit, the living water. So can you see how Jesus' timing is so perfect? He, ha he had this sermon ready for just for this moment, okay? He knew exactly what he was That's why he didn't go with his brothers. He knew exactly when and how to do what he was called to do. Well, back to the Dead Sea. So children, time to perk up here a little bit here. Back to the Dead Sea. So we got, we got that picture up again. And so what happens? Mount Hermon, streams come down from Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon, streams uh, go feed the, feeds the Jordan River. The Jordan River eventually ends up at the Dead Sea. Now children, why is the Dead Sea dead? Nothing lives in it. The Dead Sea is dead because it has no outlet. It has no outlet. That means it just receives from the Jordan River and, and, and keeps the water. That's why it's dead. There's no flow out of the water. This is a massive cistern, basically, just collecting water. And Christians are not dead, okay? We're not dead. The living water lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. True Christians are not self-focused. We give. Now let's take, let's take a contrast. So here's, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? The Jordan River, same, same river that gets water from, the, from Mount Hermon, feeds into the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is full of life. A lot of fish. Fishing industry. Jesus, matter of fact, performed much of his uh, active ministry around Galilee. He walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. Miracles took place in this place. This place is full of life. Guess what? The Sea of Galilee has an outlet. It's the Jordan River. Jordan River continues on south of the Sea of Galilee and ends up in, at the Dead Sea. Now, do you want to have life to its fullest? Jesus said, I came to give life abundantly. Okay, if you're a Christian, we're called to experience maximum joy in him. You want to experience this maximum joy? We have to have outlets. Now, let me just qualify this here. I think it's impossible for believers. I believe the Bible teaches it's impossible to have zero fruit. Okay, not that we produce a fruit, but the Holy Spirit produces a fruit in us. 
And it's impossible to be the Dead Sea as a Christian, okay, because the Holy Spirit empowers us. Now the flow, okay, the flow may be a little different. Some of us, for me speaking, for myself at times, my outlet's been like a little trickle, you know, like the, as I'm going to downtown L.A., going to J-Town, I see the L.A. River in the wash. Maybe it's like that sometimes for some of us, okay? But there's a trickle. Some of us, it may be more obvious. Maybe it's like the Mississippi River is where there's outlets coming out. We're just serving, loving on others, advancing the gospel, preaching the good news. So we, we are not called to be cisterns. We're called to be flowing waters. Verse 37 says this, from his innermost, from your innermost, from my innermost being, from my own belly will flow rivers of living water. We're not the source of that water. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the source of that water, and we get to be a channel for God. We get to be a hose for him, in, in essence. But being a, you know, we're called to be a blessing to the people around us, to the world, the dry, 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 dead world that is around us. Jesus actually, and if you can imagine it, Jesus actually lets us be part of this. This is a, do we understand this? Jesus actually lets us be part of his work. So as God, since in essence, we are God's servants, and we're called to bless others. And, how, and the Bible says, how blessed are the feet that bring good news? You know, we're, we're called to live out the gospel and preach the gospel with power and conviction when God gives us the chance. So if you're in a mode of, perhaps you're in a type of a cistern type, uh, uh, time right now. Just take it to the Lord. It isn't, it isn't our willpower, like, I want to serve God more. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Yield. Let's yield to the power and working of the Holy Spirit. And I, I just, this is a special Sunday we get to uh, celebrate communion. Okay, God, our Lord Jesus, calls us to celebrate communion. And I just want to make a contrast here. The, uh, the Feast of Booths, this whole water ceremony, this whole singing of the halal, this, the people singing out, save now, God, save us now. It became a mere ritual with just mere words. They forgot what it's all about. They're singing for a Savior, yet the sa Savior staring and screaming at them in their face right there. They missed the point. They failed to see the one who would provide living water for them. As we come to the communion table today, you walk, anyone, if you're a guest, you're welcome to join the, and partake in communion. The only thing that we ask is that you are a lover and follower of Jesus Christ. This is an exclusive thing for Christians. This is not for everybody. If, you're, if you are a follower of Christ, please, we, we welcome you to be part of this. But as we come to the communion table, let's not make this a mere ritual that we do every first Sunday of the month. Let's not let just, all right, let, let me take the cracker and the juice and this, like this just a mere ritual. This is a, this is a special thing. Taking communion doesn't save you, but this is something to remember. Just like the Feast of Booths was meant to, for us, to come, for the Jews to remember how God has been faithful to them in the wilderness. This is the ultimate remembrance of how God has been so gracious and faithful to us. Just a reminder. And let's not let the word of the cross become mere words to us. Oh, I heard the gospel. I heard what happened to Jesus on the cross already. Uh, you don't need to tell me that. 
Let's continue to preach the gospel to ourselves, to one another constantly. Jesus was smote on the cross so that he could send living water to you and me. And this living water lives within us. Let's live with this power that actually lives within us. God actually lives within us. What a privilege. So as we come, let's prepare our hearts to uh, receive communion. I'll lead us in prayer right now. So let's pray. Let's set our hearts to worship him in this communion. Just remember, not just with mere thoughts, dead thoughts, but just what, remember what Christ has done on the cross. Father, we thank you for this time and opportunity to preach your word. God, I pray, Lord, that through the preaching word that we will know you more, love you more, and become more like you. Thank you, Jesus, that your timing is absolutely perfect. You knew exactly what was going to happen at the feast. You knew that the feast and the ceremony was all about you, Lord. And you waited for that time to preach your message, the invitation to come to you, Lord. Father, I pray for those in here who do not know you yet, that they will yield to the Spirit and they will trust you, Jesus, as their Lord and Savior. Lord, prick their hearts so that they will cry out to you, say, Lord, I need forgiveness. I, need, I trust what you have done on the cross, Jesus. You are my Lord. Father, I pray for those who are in you already. I pray for edification, sanctification, encouragement, Lord. Help us to remember the high price that you paid on the cross to save your people, Lord. God, I thank you, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of being your people. And God, I pray, Lord, that we will not be like the Dead Sea, but we'll be like the Sea of Galilee where there's big flow coming out of us and we're able to bless those around us and who you've called to bless. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.